Now hear the word of God from Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 12. I mean, starting with verse 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome, be, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church family. Hope you're enjoying this beautiful, beautiful morning. It's always so good to be together on the Lord's Day. Uh, to come together for worship together. Even though it's not the same, I know it's, but for some reason now, not for some reason, because of COVID, I just don't take it as much for granted that we can come together and we can worship together. Knowing what we've been through this past year, knowing that it isn't over yet, I treasure more and more each time that we can gather together to worship in sacred assembly together. While it isn't 100%, well, we're still not together in this building that God has provided for us to worship together, even though we're not seeing each other all the time face-to-face, even though it's through uh, the internet and you're in your couch or on your living room, whatever it may be, even though it's not exactly what we want, it's still, still so good to know that we can be here where our hearts can be united that we can be worshiping the same worship songs together, we can be singing together, listening to the same message together, hearing the same scripture together, being one in spirit and body together as a church body. It's so important to remember that we're not doing this thing called life by ourselves. 
That's one of the great gifts that God's given us, why he's called this day to be holy and set apart, is he wants to remind us as we gather together in sacred assembly that you're not doing this by yourself. It's so easy to think that way. As a follower of Christ and a part of this local church body, you have brothers and sisters who have covenanted to do life with you, who will help share your burdens, who will care about your spiritual maturity, who will spur you on to good works, and who will shoulder the call to advance the kingdom together. During this COVID season, it's so easy to forget that. During times of forced isolation and self-isolation, we can forget that we're part of something bigger and part of a greater community. But you're not alone. And the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. It's meant to be lived in community. And this is one of the main themes of our text today that we'll be diving into. We're at a great hinge point in our series in the book of Romans. Chapter 12 starts a new section. Many people divide Romans into two main parts, 1 through 11 and then 12 through 16. And some say the hinge is this therefore statement in verse 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul is saying, in light of 1 through 11, do something. And what does 1 through 11 say? Well, hopefully you can answer that question because that's where we've been the past few weeks and hopefully you've kind of got something out of it. But 1 through 11 talks about God's incredible plan of salvation for all people. This awesome good news, 1 through 11 basically lays out the gospel. So therefore, in light of what you know about the gospel, do chapters 12 through 16. This is a great shift in the book of Romans. Paul is saying, in light of the gospel, here is what life looks like. In other words, 1 through 11 of Romans focuses on the gospel. 12 through 16 focuses on living in the gospel. Now these first two verses of chapter 12 are powerful and incredible words. And, and they're meant powerful words for us today. But most of you have probably heard multiple sermons about this passage before. It's a pretty popular sermon passage to preach on. And you've thought to yourself, how do I offer myself as a living sacrifice? What does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? I mean, those are big concepts and sound really cool. But what? Offer myself as a living sacrifice? Be transformed? Hmm. We'll get into all that, but one thing I want to say before we do is I want us to point us in a slightly different direction. Most people, when they read this and when they hear sermons about this passage, really kind of subdivide the section ups. Do you, did anybody have your Bible here with you? Does anybody have a Bible? You can raise your hand. If you, if you have your Bible, I'm not checking the score. I don't, this is not for holy spiritual points for you guys. All right, I'm not logging at something better. But does anybody have your Bible? Somebody does have a Bible. Yes, you get points. I'm just kidding. Now, as your Bible, how does it divide up this section? It's exactly how my Bible did it too. My Bible said verses 1 through 2 divided as a living sacrifice, then 3 through 8 as a humble service in the body of Christ, and 9 through 21 as love and action. Is that what your Bible says? Yes? Anybody have something different? Similar? This is simple, uh, simple subdivisions, and they make sense. It helps us in our reading of Scripture, but I think it can sometimes lead us to miss something very important. You see, when we see these divisions... And when we read this passage, we think of the first two verses as only for us personally on a one-on-one level. It's very individual focused. Then it says something about separate about the body of Christ, but then the focus is back on the personal walk with God. But that's not how this is written. 
It's written intentionally to show how we're to live in community. Verses 3 through 8 weren't just thrown in there to talk about right and we talk about the body of Christ. The whole response of 12 through 16 is meant to be done in community. As a matter of fact, you can see that its purpose is to show us how to respond to the gospel together. Romans 6, 13. If you want to go back, you can go back to that. Romans 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 13 says this. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And notice three concepts here. The idea of offering yourself. Do not offer any part of your sin, but offer to God. Notice the concept of self, your body, yourself. Don't present the members of yourself to sin. And then who are we to present our bodies to? Offer yourselves to God. Those are just three concepts now, and then I'm going to reread to you Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do you see the parallels there? Do you see those three concepts right back again in chapter 12? What does this mean? What does this terminology mean? It means that what Paul began to do in chapter 6, he's now doing in more practical detail in chapter 12. There's a connection in chapter 6 and 12. Both of them are about how justified people live and why they don't go on sinning that grace might increase. Chapter 6 emphasizes a deeper spiritual why. Chapter 12 emphasizes the practical how. But like chapter 6 and chapter 12 is a communal we. This passage and the rest of it needs to be understood as how to live the Christian life in community with fellow sinners who have responded to the gospel and have been called to life together. I'll say that again. This passage and the rest of it needs to be understood as how to live the Christian life in community with fellow sinners who have responded to the gospel and have been called to life together. So what does this look like? How do we live like this? What does this life look like? There are three things I want us to talk about that this life looks like. There are three elements, three points that I want us to get across about what this life looks like. Number one, it looks like a living sacrifice. Number two, this life doesn't conform to the world, but it is transformed. And three, it is lived in loving service to each other. I'm going to say that again. It, does, it looks like a living sacrifice, Two, it doesn't conform to the world, but is transformed. And three, it's lived in loving service to each other. The first one, it's, it looks like a living sacrifice. What in the world is a living sacrifice? It sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Like jumbo shrimp. The word sacrifice in Greek is actually the word for killing. Therefore, what's, what it's saying is make your life a living killing. It's deliberately paradoxical. It's true that most everybody reading this, the Greeks, the Romans, and the Hebrews, would all know about animal sacrifices that happened in temples all around the world. They would understand the idea of animals being killed and offered up as sacrifices to God. But to call it a living sacrifice is deliberately paradoxical. It's Paul's way of saying that Christian life is both like and unlike those old sacrifices. First, let me tell you how the Christian life is unlike the old sacrifices and the other sacrifices seen in that part of the world. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were a way of getting right, atoning, uh, getting a way of salvation, getting right with God. And this is absolutely not true about the living, being a living sacrifice about the Christian life now. You, do, you don't say, I'm going to live for you, Lord. I'm going I'm to live as a living sacrifice. I'm going to do what you want me to so that you'll accept me, so that you'll forgive me. That is not at all what we're talking about. 
No, Jesus' sacrifice is, is, is once for all, it ends all guilt, all sin. It is enough for atonement. So we don't earn by being a living sacrifice. This is different. Being a living sacrifice is more like offering of gratitude and praise. So doing a living sacrifice is not atoning for your sin. It's not garnering God's favor. Another way the living sacrifice is different from the Old Testament sacrifice is that once the Old Testament sacrifice was offered, it was over. Once you brought your animal or your grain, it was done. A living sacrifice isn't over once it's offered. So the old sacrifices were no problem. You, you, you killed an animal, then it was done. You burned a burnt offering, it was burned up, and it's finished. But a living sacrifice means every day, every hour, every moment, right now, you have to deliberately, consciously, continually, perpetually offer yourself to God. It's constant. It's never over. It's intense. So in those ways, Christian living is not like the Old Testament sacrifices. But in one truly significant way, it's very similar. It's the word killing, the idea of being a living sacrifice, that Greek word killing, that matches it up. He wouldn't have used the word sacrifice with the word killing in it unless something was put to death. Something was killed. And what is it? What it is is the very idea that you put to death the idea that you have a right to live as you choose. You're not living the Christian life until you make God the master and ruler of your life. And this is radical thinking. I know it is. I mean, our society, our culture recoils it, it, it just, uh, at this thought that no one's in charge but me. Our society, our culture wants me that I get to choose my own destiny. I get to control my own fate. I'm in charge of my own world. Nobody else is in charge but me. But what it means to live a Christian life is to put to death the right to live life as you choose. To put to death the idea that you belong to yourself. To put to death the idea that you know what's best for your own life. You kill it. You put to death that idea and you give it to God. Paul is using the right word here because it could feel like death, but it leads to life. It's this incredible seeming contradiction. This beautiful paradox. You put to death for life a living sacrifice. And I hope what happens in your mind, if you're here with us at Waypoint Church, I hope what happens is your mind jumps back to the sermon I preached on Romans chapter 6 and 7. And it jumps back to this idea of, I talked about being a slave to righteousness. And I spoke about how we're all slaves to something. We're all slaves to something. We all worship something. We all have our own masters, whether it's our stomach, our ego, our anxiety, our sin. We're all slaves to We all put to death. And what this is calling us is we put to death our lives, our way, and make God the master of the universe, uh, master of our universe, and the master of our lives, and our object of worship. Pastor J.D. Greer often uses the illustration of a blank check of our lives before God. He says, are you willing to give God the blank check? Are you willing to just say, God, here's my blank check, and God, you can write what it's for, who it's to, and the amount that it is. In other words, are you willing to give the blank check of your life as a living sacrifice in light of God's mercy? Are you willing to say, God, everything, it's yours? C.T. Studd was a professional cricket player, which I don't know if you guys know much about cricket. I don't know that much about cricket, but it was a pretty big deal. Some parts of the world is a huge deal. But uh, cricket, it's like, it's like kind of like baseball, if you don't know what cricket is. Anybody know what cricket is? Anybody? I liken it. This might be a terrible illustration. I just came up with it this morning. But cricket, in my mind, it's like the badminton version of tennis. No? Of, but it's the badminton version of tennis, of, like, of, but it's the badminton version of baseball. Do you see that quote? No? Anybody? No? Okay. As cricket, it's the baseball. 
Anybody? No, okay. I like that one. Well, CT Stud, he was on the screen earlier. He was a, a stud, as his name is shown. CT Stud was a stud. <laughs> he was an impressive star. He was a star on England's national team. So he's a big deal. Huge deal. A star on England's national team of a really popular sport. At the height of his career, he wrestled with the thought that his life was yielding a little of eternal value. And he sensed God's call to carry the gospel to the nations. So he quit. Quit being the star of the national team. And he spent the rest of his days in China, India, and then Africa, where he eventually died. This would be like Patrick Mahomes or LeBron James doing this today. Just quitting and being like, oh, no, no, no. I don't need the millions. I don't need the popularity. I don't need the fame. I'm going to go do this. So people all over were asking, what in the world? Like, why are you doing this? So he responded with this line. He says, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. It's this beautiful idea of putting to death what we think our lives need to be about. Putting to death what the world thinks our lives need to be about. Putting to death and living in the freedom that comes from being a slave to righteousness. Because here's the reality. I'm not, I'm not saying that all of a sudden the way you do this, I'm not saying the way you do this be a living sacrifice is that you have to go to China or India or Africa. I'm saying what needs to happen is you need to put to death your own concept of what it is to be ruler and master of your own life, what your own life even entails. I heard a sermon by a guy named um, John Gerstner where he talks about even a woman who for her whole life she thought, I'm called to the nations, I'm called to the nations, did everything, found her worth in the idea that I'm called to the nations, I'm called to the nations, did everything, studied for it, trained for it, studied the language for it, learned the culture for it, called the nation, kept on asking God, God, where am I going to go? How are you going to provide a way for me to go? And she kept on going and learning and trying and striving. And one day she was just so frustrated with God, said, God, why am I not gone yet? I thought I was called to the nations. What's going on? And then she came to this realization that she found her whole worth and her identity in the fact that she felt separate and holy by being called to the nations when in fact God is calling her right here, right now, and was not providing her a pathway to the nations because he was using her here in a different way. Guys, what this means is put to death what you think that you're supposed to do for God. Put to death what you think you're supposed to do in this world. Put to death the fact that you're ruler and trusting that the Holy Spirit will guide you into the means of his glory and advancing his kingdom. But instead, it doesn't have to be your way. And I know that's hard. That is literally a daily putting to death what I think is right. Literally daily putting to death what I think things need to be done. And for those of you who are controllers, those of you who have big vision, those of you who, uh, who like to control every step of the way, this is so hard for you. But it's also so freeing. Because then it's not on you. Your life is not your own. And no longer are you enslaved then to all the other things that drive you. You're enslaved to your own ego. You're enslaved to your own need to be loved and adored. You're enslaved, no longer enslaved to capitalism and materialism. You can choose your master and be a living sacrifice. Number two, Christian living is not conformed to this world, but transformed. God is calling Christians to look different from this world. He's calling us to godly nonconformity. Not in a hipsterist or anarchist kind of way. Don't be a nonconformist for the sake of being a nonconformist. It's like I had a friend of mine who will only listen to music that nobody else knows about. 
Like if it's on the radio, he definitely won't listen to it. But if even if you saw, like, oh, I've heard of them. They're like, oh, well then I don't listen to them anymore. Like he can't stand listening. Anybody's heard of them? He's like, oh, I don't even know who they are. Oh, they're, oh, they're old now. I'm not talking about being non-conformist or the big and non-conformist. I'm talking about we worship God and give him glory as we live and even think differently from the rest of the world does. When we're brought to life spiritually, we begin to think differently because we now have the capacity to do so before that we didn't. And so by living differently, we show the change that has happened in our lives. Guys, I want you to understand what happens is that our God has changed from dead idols to the living God. And we imitate what we worship. Whether it's lost people worshiping self and idols and thinking a certain way, now we are born again to worship God and our thinking, our behavior will begin to, and must begin to imitate him. Hear this, people. What we worship and admire, well, no, we worship, what we worship, we admire and esteem. And before we worshiped the things of this world, we valued the things of this world. And so we're going to reflect and resemble what we worship. George Beale in his book, We Become What We Worship, says this. What people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. Let me say that again. What people revere, they, they resemble, either for ruin or restoration. What he's literally saying is that thing that we worship, what we look up to, what we admire, what we, what we, what we hold up high, we start resembling that thing. My people... When the world looks at you, when people look at you, the culture looks at you, do you, what is it that you revere? And this is not something for me to say to you to be like, look at you, shame on you. This is something for me. I want it to pierce our hearts. I want it to convict us because I want us to really challenge what it is that we truly revere in this world. I don't want us to chase after meaningless gods and idols that don't satisfy our hearts. But may we choose to worship the eternal, the true, the magnificent, the glorious one who humbled himself. And may we resemble that. This is for me in my own heart. I often stop and I often think, does my life resemble the one I worship? Does yours? Psalm 115, verses 4 through 9 says this, But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He's their help and shield. As believers, our thinking, our value system must change from the old to the new. The new value system says, I'm more concerned with God's will than mine. I care now more about what God thinks than what people think. I could care less about keeping up with the Joneses and more about keeping in step with what God and his desires for us. This change is so substantial that Paul uses the Greek word metamorpho, which is translated in our Bibles as transformed. Obviously, we get a word metamorphosis from it. And we see the, this idea of the caterpillar transforming into the butterfly. Guys, one of my favorite books of all time, a very powerful, meaningful book called The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Right? It's a book that I've read to my kids often, and I pretty much have memorized, my kids have memorized. But in this book, this caterpillar is hungry and eats a lot of food, but he turns into a butterfly. 
It's incredible transformation. And this is the idea that we need to be thinking about the new life that we get in God through communing with God through his word. It's a radical transformation. And I'm not saying it happens overnight. I'm not saying it immediately happens. I'm saying the capacity to do it happens immediately. As the Spirit gives you a new heart, as the Spirit enters into you, you now have the capacity to resemble the one you revere. But we're in this process of changing. But what happens is sometimes we create these other idols that are silver and gold made by human hands and we start to resemble them. May we abolish these idols by transforming our mind through the reading of his word and soaking in and saturating of his word in our hearts. It's not surprising that Christians often seem weird or foolish or even crazy to this world. As Christians, we cannot continue living and thinking like everybody else because God has brought us from death to life. We need to look at the one we really admire and revere and resemble him. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, he being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do we resemble that? Do we resemble that? If his goal, Jesus' goal was worldly fame and fortune, he would never have taken on the role of a servant, but he would have held tight to his godly form. He Instead, he would have used his status, he would have used his power for fame and fortune, but instead that's not what he cared about. He was different. Jesus cared more about what God thought than anyone else. He practiced humility and honored God. He wasn't arrogant or prideful. He lived to serve. My people, we're in the process of changing. We're under a process of metamorphosis. We cannot continue to live like the world. We need to live like those who believe in the kingdom come. Guys, my people, can you say this? Can you hear this with me? We need to live like people who believe that this life is not all there is. We need to live like people who know, who know deep in their heart, deep in their soul, that there is something greater, there is a greater glory, that suffering cannot take hold it back from that. We need to live like people who can taste and see that God is good. We need to hold him up, we need to revere him, and then we need to start resembling him. For too long, as Christianity has been the popular culture in America, how we resembled the world. And we resemble him. And not the idols we cannot speak, not idols that we've made. Number three, Christian living is done in loving service to one another. Romans 9 says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Love must be sincere. That means real and not fake. Guys, this idea, I love this, this, this beautiful just idea of like saying, guys, can you love sincerely? 
Can we be a place where love is real, where, where people don't have to, uh, people can feel safe? I, I, this idea that I see of, of people don't have to wear masks in church. Now, it sounds different now because now people wear masks in church. Totally different reason. You know, I laugh about that. I'm like, oh, this mask idea. But in the New American Standard Version of this Bible, it says, may love be without hypocrisy. I love that translation, may love be without, in other words, may love be genuine, may be authentic in the church. Guys, why do people wear masks when they come to church? You guys have I wish you guys would know how many people have come to me and their testimony, their story goes like this, I used to go to church, but I was burned by church. How many people I've met, I was like, I used to go to church, but I was just full of hypocrites. And the story over and over again, and I love to tell these people, yeah, they're all hypocrites, well, they're hypocrites, but they're not hypocrites because they should all acknowledge that they're all sinners, but I get what you're saying. Is so many people come to me and saying the church, they don't have a love that is sincere. I feel people feel like they have to show up at church and they have to wear masks of pretending that they're satisfied, pretending that they're doing well, pretending they look a certain way because there's no mercy in the church, there's no love, there's no authentic love in the church. And can I tell you something, people? Of all people, the ones in the church should be the ones who show the most mercy because they've been known to be given the most mercy. The problem is, the reason people wear masks is when they go to church or when they, when they show up in a place like this or in their communities is because, one, they're either afraid of being known, and if they're afraid of being known, they're afraid of being judged for who they are. Or they, they, they know they will be judged, or they will judge themselves. And when we say love must be sincere, love must be without hypocrisy, it means that you know yourself as a sinner. How can you judge others who are sinners? And not only that, love must be so sincere that it's this idea that you must be so satisfied by the mercy of God that you're free from craving approval from other people that you're ready to show other people so much mercy. Do you guys ever, uh, ever had a rat trap before? Do you guys want to talk about what I say, an old school rat trap that has a spring and a piece of cheese or something on there that just springs over? Anybody ever used one of those before? Is that, is that me? Just me? Old school? I'm old school. Lived in... Rough neighborhoods, I guess. I don't know if they have a rough trap. I've had, a, but I've used those before. And uh, my the, the Ill, delicate issue with those things is that if you if you press the the thing, the plate, the pressure point where the cheese is on, it'll spring down and hit your hand, and it hurts a lot, right? And I remember thinking, like, I remember how delicate it was. It's, it's just like so careful. I have to be so delicate, so doing this, guys. This is the illustration I'm trying to reach. Is that you need to be so spring loaded. To show mercy to others. That's what just flows out. The problem is in the church is we're so quick to show judgment. We're so quick to show anger and frustration. We're not quick to show mercy. And the Bible is so clear, be quick to show mercy, love sincerely. There's so much entailed that as a body together, we're called to be this living sacrifice together. We're called to be in fellowship together. And we're called to do it in community, to love one another in authenticity so that we can show mercy to one another powerfully. This is the way God designed the church. This is what he talks about. This is why we have here in, in, in verses four through five, we, for, for, just, for e, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, 
though many form one body, each member belongs to all the others. Guys, this, this passage of scripture, Romans 12, is meant to be lived in community. This, this passage talks about how do you do this thing called love being sincere? How do we live as a living sacrifice? You do it in community. This is why verses, after verses one and two goes through three, talks about the body of Christ living together. Each part has its own gift. Each skill has its own thing. Guys, it, the understanding is this. Is the, what Paul is saying is that all of you, in light of what God's done, in light of his mercy, in light of the gospel, all of you offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Be the church together and live in this manner. What does it look like? It looks like a life lived as a living sacrifice, daily killing yourself, killing the idols in your life, telling, making God your master. Two, it looks, it looks like um, the, uh, it looks like being transformed, no longer conforming to this world, but being transformed, having a new way of thinking. And three, it looks like loving service to one another, acknowledging the gifts other people have and creating a safe place of mercy, spring-loaded to show mercy to one another. Guys, this is something so different. Something so different that the church is called to. Something so different than what we've seen fleshed out and lived out. This is a call to live that Paul is calling us to. The Christian life is a life of living sacrifice that doesn't conform to the world, but is transformed and is lived in loving service to one another. That's what we're called to. And I love this, and this is what I want us to do to close this out, is I can list a bunch of applications to this. But I think the application is written here in verses 9 through 21. And I want to read this over us as a challenge and as a call to action for us as a church. So let's hear this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. But be willing to associate with the people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, my people, Waypoint Church, may this be us. May we love sincerely. May we hate what is evil. May we cling to what is good. Waypoint Church, may you be devoted to one another. May we be joyful in our hope, 
and patient in our suffering, faithful in our prayer. May we love each other well. May we not be proud. May we live in harmony where we seek good of the community. What if this was said about us? Where people can look and say, hey, oh, that guy's, what if they looked at us and said, hey, they resemble the one they revere, the one they admire. They resemble Jesus and they stand out. May that be us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in your incredible saving work, you did not just save us to do nothing, but you saved us and you called us into relationship to be a part of your kingdom advancing work. You've given us such dignity. You've given us such purpose. God, that you've called us to live like this, to live in love, to be sincere in it, God. God, we ask you to, to move in our hearts so that we can be people who resemble the one we admire. God, show us how to put to death the things that control us, that rule us, that make slaves of us so that we can be instead be a slave to righteousness so we can walk as a living sacrifice, no longer conforming to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind and being, being changed into the likeness of Christ so that we can live in loving community together. God, we thank you that that's what you called us to. That is our destiny that you've placed before us. So may we live this out right here, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the glory of your name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.